in Acts, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. Uh, his mission is complete. This is right after he is actually resurrected uh, from the grave. Yes, he, we believe as Christians he resurrected and he uh, revealed himself to all of his followers. Uh, eyewitness accounts say this. And matter of fact, Acts is an eyewitness account. And same with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of people writing about these things that happen. And so in Acts, Jesus is uh, about to ascend into heaven his work is complete here on earth in his human body, and, and he's beginning to commission his disciples, his followers. And he's telling them to go out, uh, uh, preach the gospel in Judea and Samaria, make disciples in Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the world. And then, you know, right after saying that, you'd feel like, okay, I'm jacked up. I'm ready to go preach the gospel and bring this good news of my resurrected Savior to the nations. But then he stops them and says, but wait, before you do so, wait for the gift that was promised to you. But I thought, I thought this whole Christian faith was all about, you know, Jesus and the cross. I mean, I wear the necklaces. I see it hanging up in a church. But you're telling me Jesus said that there was, there was a gift. There was something that he wanted to give us. I don't know about you, but like there's certain people in your life, you know what type of gift you're going to get. Like, you, we all have that family member or that friend uh, growing up where, you know, if they were showing up to the family function at Christmas uh, and they and you, you see their name uh, on there, like to Alex from Aunt whatever, I'm not going to expose anyone out here, you would know in the back of your brain like, oh, that ain't going to be good. That's going to be some socks and like a shoestring. Uh, but on the other hand, you'd have like a family member, my dad for one, my dad gave really good gifts. My dad would ball out during Christmas and I was always excited to get parents uh, gifts from my parents because I knew it was going to be good because I knew who they were and I had an expectation of the gifts that they would give. In the same way, if the author of life is telling you that there's a gift he wants to give you, you should have some expectation now, what was that? What was Jesus talking about? Where well, it really goes back uh, to when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Uh, before Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist was saying, I baptize in water, but the one coming after me will baptize by fire. Jesus was the one that was going to baptize by fire, and it correlates to the gift that I'm about to talk about. And so what did these disciples do after Jesus just floats up to heaven and they're left like wondering, okay, what now? Well, they go to this upper room, 120 disciples go to this upper room, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and then the gift arrives. The gift comes like this. There's a sound of a mighty rushing wind that fills the room. And then there is flames of fires, like flames of like tongues of fire over their heads. Then these disciples start speaking in different tongues, going out and proclaiming the works of God. Now, these tongues that they were speaking, they weren't speaking gibberish and they, they weren't drunk or, or they, it, it, was per, it was the people that were in the vicinity during the time in the city of Jerusalem. There was tons of different languages and tribes that were represented there. And each one of them heard what these disciples were saying in their own language. But what did they hear? They heard the works of God being proclaimed. They, they all of a sudden this power came over them and they started to witness and they were taking that city by storm. 
Now, the interesting thing uh, that was going on during that time of the upper room experience when they went out uh, after receiving this gift that we're going to dig into today, we're going to be discussing the gift. The interesting thing uh, about that is some history behind that is there was three feasts in, in Jewish tradition. There was the Uh, Feast of Passover, Tabernacle, and Pentecost. Now, during the time, this place, Jerusalem, would have been jumping. There would have been tons of people that would have been in the city because of the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, And in tradition, Jewish tradition, the men actually would have to go appear to the temple in the temple uh, in the city of Jerusalem. So there would be a widespread, you know, migration towards the city, and it would be packed from tons of different nations and tons of different tongues that would be present there. Super, super interesting uh, to take note of. But what were they celebrating? What was the Feast of Pentecost? Didn't they just get done celebrating the Passover not so long ago? Yes, they they were. The Feast of Pentecost, also known as, I think it's called Shavuot. It's something with an S in H-A-V-U-O-T, whatever. You, you guys can look it up afterwards. I just went to Israel, but I haven't mastered the language yet. All I know is, you can try this with me, Manishma, which means like, how are you doing? And uh, if I were to ask that to you, you would say Sababa, which is a fun word to say. It sounds like Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars, which just means I'm doing good. But that's just, that's the extent of I know of Hebrew, so you'll have to look up what that means. But Shavat was the celebration of the giving of the Ten Commandments to the tribe of Israel. It's it's celebrating uh, the law of God from Mount, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, giving to the people to God. That's what they were celebrating. And it starts, interesting, it starts on the second day when they're celebrating Passover. And, and the countdown starts seven weeks from then, which is 49 days. And I think it ended up being 50 when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, meaning Pentecost just stands uh, for 50. So it was 50 days. And interesting that did you know that during Passover... When that countdown started, so the Passover, what are they celebrating? Passover is the sacrifice uh, of the lamb put over their doorpost that the angel of death passed over them and the Egyptians let them go out of slavery and they were able to worship their God. They were set free. They celebrated that. That's what the Passover is. But the countdown uh, 50 days later is the giving of the Ten Commandments, is the promise that they were to be a nation that was going to be a kingdom of priests. Super interesting. But did you know the correlation of those two events that unknowing, uh, the, the unbeknown to the people that were celebrating these feasts totally, totally missed the fulfillment and the foreshadowing of this scripture they celebrate in the person of Jesus Christ? Think about it. Jesus, the Lamb of God, crucified, atoning for our sins during Passover. Fifty days later, in the same way the Jews are celebrating tradition, are missing what is taking uh, place in the present, which is the fulfillment of Scripture, the new covenant, the promise given and right in front of their faces. Fifty days later, from the crucifixion of Jesus, what happens The gift is given. The gift being the Holy Spirit dwelling within these believers. It was the giving of the Holy Spirit, marking them to be priests. Their priesthood started that day when they were given the Holy Spirit. And from 
then on, those jokers weren't shutting up. This is essential to believers. And if you're not a believer, you want what Jesus has to offer. Ready? So we're going to talk about that first. We're starting from the jump with the person of Abraham. You heard the song, Father Abraham and many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Is that real? So yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Start, we're starting there. So why was a father, why, why was Father Abraham, why did he have many sons? Where well, that comes from, the promise that was given to Abraham by God. He came to Abraham told him that he would become a father of many nations, that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. And Abraham was made righteous, considered righteous by God, because why? Because he trusted God. This was before there was law. Abraham was considered righteous because he trusted God and the promise that he was going uh, to give. Fast forward now. So that that tiny family begins to grow and grow and grow. And the Israelites are starting to become a nation. They are, they are getting large in numbers, so much so that years down the road, the Israelites settled in Goshen. And because their number began to grow, Egypt, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, began to be afraid, thinking that the Israelites would overtake Egypt if he didn't have something to do about it. So he made the Israelites slaves and even went to the extent of killing their firstborns. Dude was, dude was afraid. And, and made them slaves for four, there was, they were in slavery for 400 years. And so this promise that they would have all known and this God of their ancestors uh, that they would have heard stories about, it's like, where the heck are you, God? Like, where is this promise? What is this? Where, where are you? I thought this, like, you're, you're our God, but we're stuck in chains. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And so God heard their cries, sent his servant Moses to set them free. And so you've seen the, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, and if you, you guys probably are familiar with the story, uh, if not, I'm going to paraphrase for you. Moses uh, works with God, and, and God uses Moses to carry out judgment against the Egyptians because Pharaoh's heart was so hard, he wouldn't let his people go. And because he wouldn't listen, he wouldn't listen to reason, God was forcing Pharaoh's hand by sending plagues against their people. There was a locust, there was frogs, he sent darkness, he sent fire. There, there was tons of different things that took place to Pharaoh, but he didn't change his heart. Again and again, he said, no, I won't let your people go. That was until the night of the Passover, where that first feast begins. Listen to this. So God tells Moses, tell the people to sacrifice a lamb Put its blood over the doorposts because the angel of death is going to pass over your camp tonight. And you need to make sure the blood is over your doorposts so that you, you are spared. So they did so. And the angel of death, sure enough, that night came over, passed over the Israelites' camp, and wiped out every firstborn in the, in the nation of Egypt. And that was the breaking point where Pharaoh was like, okay, I'll let your people go, just get out of here. They left, uh, and, and, and they were set free, but God didn't throw up the deuces and just 
walk away. He's like, okay, you're free. Now you go just do whatever you want. No, this is the interesting thing because he didn't just leave them to become orphans. He established a covenant relationship with them by the giving of the law. So, so when you guys hear law, uh, that you aren't, you, you don't understand the culture or what really happened there at Mount Sinai because you got this weird perception of who God is. Really think about it like this. So when God brought the people out of slavery, they had no identity. They were slaves. God brought them out and didn't just set them free to be anarchist. He gave them a purpose and an identity. The law was like wedding vows, basically. And he told this to Moses and the elders that if you and your people were to keep these laws, if you were to follow and abide by these laws, just like you do with your spouse on your wedding day, you exchange wedding vows. In the same way, if you put up these boundaries, we will have a relationship. We, I will participate with you and I will love you and I will be your God. Super interesting, right? So, so that's what Mount Sinai was, and that's what the Israelites are celebrating during the Feast of Pentecost, the giving of the Torah, where they, as a nation, get their identity, get their, get their uh, purpose. And the interesting thing, and this is biblical curiosity, and this is from the Midrash, so don't quote me on this, because I don't want to get in trouble from Pastor James. I'm just a history buff, and I love reading this type of stuff. But as I was studying for this, something that, you know, it's not so much of, of a rabbit hole, because I think it adds to the th story, and I think it's interesting, because what I'm trying to do is I don't want you to think that the Old Testament and New Testament are just split things, and they don't, they don't mean anything. They're just like, they're just done away with it. So people don't read the Old Testament because they don't think that they have anything to do with it anymore. I'm trying to show you uh, some uh, where, where the Bible is a, a coherent story, and it's uh, the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant and writ the new one in his blood. Anyways, it's one story, super interesting, one storyline. This is from the Midrash. When the giving of that law happened, this is what occurred. Super interesting. Listen to this. This is from the Midrash of a Jewish commentary. On the occasion of giving of the Torah, this is, again, to clarify, this is not the Bible. This is the Midrash. It's a Jewish commentary of the scriptures. But listen to this. On the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but actually saw sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth. Can you imagine that? That's, that's trippy. They visualized, visualized them as a fiery substance. Sound familiar? Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and came back to every uh, Jew individually. God's voice, as it was uttered, split up into 70 voices in 70 languages that all the nations should understand. That word 70 is always associated in scripture of meaning all nations. Now, if that doesn't sound like what took place in the upper room, I don't know what to tell you, but I think, I just think that that commentary is super interesting from, uh, 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 from the, the Midrash because that sounds a lot like what God did in that upper room and what during the this time, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how these temple inaugurations and God's ministry to the Israelites was a foreshadow of the gift that was going to be brought through His Son Jesus Christ. This is what I'm going to show you. So, so there were the give. There, there was the giving of the Torah. There was the covenant that, because of that covenant, 
It says, Moses ascended to the mountain, and there God uh, commanded him to tell the leaders that if they would obey the Lord and keep his covenant, then they would be the Lord's kingdom of priests. If they were to obey, that they would be a kingdom of priests and a, a holy a, a, a holy nation. All right, you with me? Now, Moses was the representative at that time. He was the representative of uh, the Israelites. He was the one that was going up to Mount Sinai. He was the one that was talking to God. He was the one with the, with the staff that split the Red Sea and was sending the plagues. He was the mouthpiece for God, but there was a transition uh, that took place in Leviticus 9, 5 through 6. Um, the, the baton was passed from Moses to Aaron and the priest of Levi, that they were to mediate uh, between God and the people. They were the one that were going to be offering sacrifices and atonement for sins of the people and on their own behalf, that they were going to do that and have the temple duties. Uh, in Leviticus 9, you can read, you can read uh, that. But what I find is interesting is that there are there is three different times where I when I was reading through scripture that are a foreshadow of what was to come in the upper room and what I want to call them is kind of like the ribbon ribbon cutting ceremony or an inauguration of where where the presence of God was going to dwell and they're very they're all similar and that's why I want to point out because I want to show you the importance and the gift that we have uh, today. What first happened before the baton was, was passed from Moses to Aaron and the priest of Levi, there had to be an atonement, there had to be a sacrifice that took place that would cleanse the priests of their sins and it would cleanse the people of their sins. As in other ceremonies, the process moves uh, removes sinfulness by a sin offering. In Levi 9, 22 through 24, Moses and Aaron together enter the tent. Moses is passing the torch to Aaron, and the priests will now mediate between the Lord and the people. And when that happened, they offered up a sacrifice. And what it meant, when they when they offered the sacrifice, they offered the sacrifice, and then when they, when they offered that, the Lord, the fire of the Lord would consume it, and then the glory of the Lord would be shown before the people. But before the glory of the Lord would be revealed, there was an atonement that needed to take place. This is what God, this is what God is commanding. This is not what the people's idea is. This is what God is telling them. For whatever reason, he's like, hey, before I reveal myself to you and before I set up my residency where you've created a space for me, there needs to be an atonement, a removing of the sin that stains you, that will wash you clean before I show my glory. And so they they would sacri they, they sacrificed the lamb without blemish. And, and the, the what would show the approval of that site and the position of leadership that Moses passed on was the fire that would consume the altar. Then the glory of the Lord would pass by the people and they would see it. Very interesting, right? Very interesting. Then in David, same thing happens. So you've heard the story of David dancing around naked. I don't know if it was exactly like butt naked, but uh, he was dancing around so much so I guess it was embarrassing enough for his wife to be uh, you know, ashamed of him and be like, what are you doing? You're not acting very king-like. But he was so beside himself and so excited. But do you know the story behind why he was so excited? He was so excited because the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into the city and the presence of the Lord was going to be placed in the tabernacle, in the place of worship, that God's presence was going to reside in the space that David had created, a temporary residency until they built 
the, the temple of God. Very interesting. He is so excited. Do you know what was in the Ark of the Covenant, though? I'm just, I'm just going to show you how many times that this is all coming full circle. What was in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, the wedding vows. That what was, that's what was in the Ark of the Covenant. So again, David built an altar. The Lord answered him with fire from heaven, signifying God's approval of the site. That's in 1 Chronicles 21, 26. So again, just like what took place and God commanded the Israelites with Moses to pass the baton and to approve the site that they had created, the approval would have been the fire coming down from heaven and consuming their sacrifice. Then his glory would fill the area and the space they created. In the same way, it happens here. The Lord answered him with fire from heaven, signifying God's approval for the sight. Again, in Solomon 7, in Solomon 7, uh, I'm not Solomon 7, that's not even what I'm trying to say. My bad. Second Second Chronicles. I'm getting too excited. I want to dance like David right now, so I can't even read. Second Chronicles 7, 1. This is King Solomon. This is David's son. Uh, David had a temporary residency of where the presence of God was going to dwell, but God had told him that his son was going to be the one that was going to build the temple where God's presence was going to fill in the heart of the city of Jerusalem. And in Chronicles, it says this, the fire from heaven, the fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice signals, again, here it is, the fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice signaled acceptance of the temple and the priest's ministry there. So it, it, it signified the approval of not only the space that Solomon created, that David created, that Moses created. It was the approval of the space they created, but it was also the approval of the work of ministry by the priests that were going to be working on behalf of the people in relation to God. There was three that I just discussed. The inauguration of the temple looks similar every single time, but there is a fourth, and it happened in that upper room. Did you know, actually, an interesting fact of King Solomon's temple that he built? He had these people called the priests that were being qualified for the work of the ministry that I just told you that the fire of God would give the approval of their work and the site, right? There was 120 priests. They were called trumpeteers. And what they were to do when this was taking place is they were exalting, and it says that they were... They were, they were praising and they were saying the great and mighty works of God. They were exalting him and talking about the wonders of God and his mighty works. Do you know how many of those were there at the temple and that inauguration that happened? The trumpeteers and the priests I'm just talking about? 120. 120. Do you know how many people were in the upper room? 120. What were the people hearing when, when the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire were over the heads, and they went, in, they went out into Jerusalem, and they, were, and they were speaking in tongues? What did the people hear in their own language? Look it up. The mighty works of God being proclaimed. If you don't get, like, goosebumps right now, like, this is so, this is so crazy. This is so interesting. Like, this is 
This is literally, if you're listening to this right now and you're not a Christian or, or you just don't even know anything about the Spirit, this should be the best news or, or the, the thing you should be talking about weeks from now because this is an interesting discovery. This is like an eye-opener because that very same Spirit, that very same Spirit that King David was going berserk and dancing in his underwear about, not even caring about what people looked at him like, this same spirit where Moses, the, the same spirit that the glory of the Lord at Mount Sinai was revealed to the people, the same spirit that, that fire came from heaven, quenched the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, the same spirit that manifested and empowered Moses to do the mighty works that you saw, the Red Sea being split, you saw Elijah going against the prophets, and the spirit of the Lord from heaven consumed the altar, one man against 400 prophets, the same spirit that empowered King David to rise up against a giant and slay him and lead the Israelites to victory over the Philistines, the same spirit with Samson who slayed tons of Philistines, the enemies of God with the, with the jawbone of a donkey, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. lives and believers of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed. Lives in us. And you want to go about your day discussing what's sin and what's not sin. You want to go about your day talking about behavior modification and rules that we can and can't do. You want to go about your day uh, thinking that Christianity is a list of rules that I can't do that make me happy rather than the source of all life, the creator, the being that formed the planets in the universe, that created human anatomy and the mystery of the human brain and the heart and the depths of the ocean that not even humans and all our technology have even discovered yet. That same God, the wonders of all creation, the creator of all that, the author of life says, hey, I want to reveal myself to you and I want to make you a royal priesthood. The way in which that happens is I am going to cleanse you of all impurities, every guilt stained by sin that you have, all the, all the wrongdoing that you have committed against me, I am going to lay down I'm going to lay down my life, atone for you with my blood, and then call you to be a priest by giving you my spirit. The fourth inauguration of the temple happened that what I'm talking about today anyways. The fourth person I'm talking about is Jesus, the one baptizing in fire, the one that said that there was a gift that he was going to promise, the gift that he said that you should be glad that this is coming and I am leaving because you are going to go on and do greater things than I have. But we just read that and, and, and just glance over that. The fourth inauguration of the temple, think about it. Think about what took place. I told you the stories of Moses, what happened. I told you with David. I told you with Solomon. What happens first before the inauguration of the temple where presence of God is approved with the space they created and the work of the ministry of the workers in that temple was also approved. What happens first? There was a sacrifice, an atonement. 
There was a sacrifice that needed to take place to wash clean the sins and guilt of the people and the priests that were to do the work of the ministry. And then the glory of God was revealed. But how? It was the fire from heaven that consumed the altar that, that said, I approve of the site and I approve of the workers. What happened in the upper room? Can you please tell me? Think about it. How crazy is that? Because what was going on there that the Jews in the city failed to even recognize, and it was right in front of them under their nose that Peter, when he was preaching in the city, was telling them, hey, that guy that you just crucified, you failed to recognize that that was the Lamb of God that atones for your sins. The same, the same traditions that you are celebrating happen right before your eyes and you missed it but the kingdom of God is here that Passover there's the Passover and the feast of Pentecost for Christians it was the crucifixion and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit the new covenant was the crucifixion the lamb of God that poured out his blood that was that was beaten because of our transgressions and the blood that was poured out was put over our doorposts and the angel of death passes over us because of the blood of the lamb the blood of the lamb, just like in Egypt, has set us free of our sin-sovereign nation we used to live in. Just like with the Israelites, that lamb that was, that was, that was sacrificed and put over the door, doorpost and the angel of death passed over, later released the Israelites from the slavery they, they had to the people of Egypt. In the same way, what did Jesus come to do? What does Jesus say? He says, I have come to set the captives free. I am the promised Messiah. I am the shadow of things that you guys have built temples and altars and sacrificed. I am, I am the fulfillment of that old covenant that used to be in animal's blood. I am now... The fulfill, I am honoring that covenant with my own. And the new covenant, the new contract, the new wedding vows are written in my blood. And the way that you are made a priest, I have set you free. For freedom, I have set you free, but I haven't left you in the wilderness. Jesus made us priests by the fire of God that fell that day in the upper room. Because what happened? Like I said, the fire of flames over their head. God was honoring the sacrifice of his son that atoned for the sins of the people and atoned for the priests that were to do the work of ministry. That day, the Holy Spirit anointed those 120 disciples and marked them for ministry. The reason why Jesus said, hey, listen, you've had a revelation of who I am, but don't leave and until you receive the gift that I have promised. That gift was the Holy Spirit that the temple of God would be no more. It's not going to be a physical location that the temple of God will be human beings, that human beings will be the vessels that will carry the presence of God into all the nations, that those with the Holy Spirit, those that believe in Jesus, Jesus says that you accept me, you accept the Father, the one who sent me, and my Father honors you, and those that believe in Jesus are counted as children of God. We are a kingdom of priests, and when we believe in him, we are given that same spirit, and we are equipped for the work of ministry, not because of an education or, 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 or like um, 
a certificate that tells us we're able to preach. It's the Holy Spirit that qualifies to do so. A lot of times, this is what Christians do. This is what Christians do. I'm going to show you right here. They go, oh my goodness, all these terrible things that are happening in the world, all the oppression, all the evil, everything that's going on, where is Jesus? And Jesus would look at you and say, what are you doing about it? I have laid down my life. I have poured out my blood. I have given you my spirit to do the work of ministry, to be the church, to be the temple of God where people experience the presence. What are you doing? I didn't die for you so you could sit in a service, get fed and spiritually fat and go and do nothing. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave them a commission. He had commissioned them to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And he didn't leave them, though, as spiritual orphans. He had set them free, but he had given them an identity, just like God did in that wilderness at Mount Sinai. Jesus did the same thing. There, there, there's, three, there's a few things that you need to know what God has given us. He, I think this is what happens with Christians. We, we sit, like I said in the beginning, we sit at the, foot of, at the foot of the cross and people leave the church because they're void of purpose, identity, and, and understanding. They just sit at the foot of the cross and they, they think that the purpose of Christianity is just to talk about behavior and how we please God and all these different things, which is true. But Paul says in Hebrews that we need to move on from the elementary principles of the doctrine of the cross and move on to maturity discerning what is good and what is God, to grow up. What Paul is saying, and he's, he's not, he's not uh, downplaying what Jesus did on the cross. That's not what I'm saying at all. But he was saying, hey, listen, do you even know what the purpose of the cross is? Stop gawking at it and then walk in the purpose of the gift that, that he purchased at that cross. What he's saying is, hey, listen, you guys are all set free. You have a new identity. Walk in it is what he's saying. Let's move on and let's grow. Because I don't know about you, but there's an age where it becomes very uncomfortable and I think even legal when, when, you're, when you're at the age of 20 and you're still breastfeeding from your mother. That's gross. In the same way, there's a lot of Christians that are still breastfeeding and haven't moved on to maturity because they've limited and reduced Christianity to a list of rules they abide by rather than a purpose that they carry out. The Holy Spirit has given us an identity. The Holy Spirit has given us power and it's given us purpose. You're called to be the temple. Those that have never stepped foot in a church, you're called to be the church to them. You know the, you know the word church, what people think of as a physical, tangible building. And it actually stems from the translation in German, Kirche, which means an actual like temple or a physical building. When Jesus talked about the church, he was talking about a group or a gathering. It's a people. You are the church. The spirit of God was given to empower you to, to, to become the salt of the earth and redeem the world, to be the hands and feet of Christ. My hope and goal today is that you would understand the lineage and the gift, the beautiful gift that God gave you to equip you to be the church to a dying world that desperately needs life and to know the author of it.
So if you don't, if you have never experienced that before, I want you to ask for it today. This Holy Spirit that I talk about is not out of reach. I tell people that if the God of the universe wanted to make himself hard to find, he very well could have, but he didn't. He made it simple. He, re- he came as a man, was a, the sacrificial lamb to take away our sins, and then gave us his spirit, the gift of his spirit. You can't please God by your flesh. The Bible says that. The Bible says you need to be born again. The flesh Humans, the reason why we don't understand the things of God if you're not a Christian, the, th- the reason why you don't understand the things of God is because you're just a flesh. This is all you know. John 3, Jesus is talking about that. He goes, flesh only knows the flesh. But if you want to know God, God is a spirit. You need to be born again. You need to have your, you need a spirit that is born in you to be able to know your God. The Bible says in Romans, it says that God has not given you a spirit of slavery, but of adoption that we cry, Abba, Father. And he wants to give that spirit to you that would lead you into understanding, into a relationship with him. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. The Bible says, Jesus says himself, he says, he goes, what earthly father, when his, when his son would ask for a piece of bread, would he give him a scorpion? Everybody that's listening is like, well, of course not. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. So why do you think that God is withholding himself from you? If your earthly fathers that are evil know how to give good gifts and listen to their children, how much more Will your heavenly father, who is perfect, how much more will he give you? But this is the part we mess up. Not material things. The end of that verse is how much more will he give you when you ask for the Holy Spirit? You want evidence. You want to know God. Seek his face. Earnestly seek him. The Bible says seek him with all your heart. Not half-heartedly. Not know if you want to know God. If, this, if, if you believe what I'm saying right now, seek after him. What's the harm in asking this God if he's real? Would you reveal yourself to me? You just say, Jesus. Jesus, just like we talked about, he was the, the, he was the sacrifice that cleansed you of all blame and sin. So stop worrying about if you're good enough. You are. Jesus made sure of that. So you're washed clean in his blood, you're approved, you are, you, are, you are blameless because of the sacrifice he's given. Now what comes after that? The glory of God will be revealed to you and he'll give you his spirit when you believe. So first ask yourself, do you believe in the sacrifice that was given so you would be able to have his spirit? But you just ask God right now, you say, Jesus, thank you for the finished work you've done on the cross. I repent of my sins and I turn to you. God, you say in your word that if I ask for your Holy Spirit, you will give it to me. God, reveal yourself in a new way to me. Give me your Holy Spirit right now, Jesus. In your name, amen. It's as simple as that. Create a space. Create a space. You make room, God's going to fill it. But have you even given him an invitation to your birthday party? Have you ever even sent him an invite? You wonder why God hasn't showed up at your house, but 
did, did the invite get returned to sender? Did you really extend the offer to Jesus? Does he really have permission to be, the, to be on the throne of your heart? Do you really want that? Because if you do, Jesus is more than willing to show up. I love you guys. I pray this blessed you. Seek the face of God. He is so, so close, and he wants to reveal himself to you.